to the Grumpy Economist podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and the Grumpy Economist is John Cochran, the Rosemary and Jack Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the proprietor of the Grumpy Economist blog. And just a programming note here at the top, like a lot of you, 2020 was tumultuous for us, and so this show was never able to get on a regular release schedule, but we are delighted to tell you that in 2021, beginning with this new episode, we will have a new show of the Grumpy Economist podcast for you every two weeks, and we hope you'll join us. And John, I am so delighted to be back with you, especially because since we last talked, you have been spending so much time thinking and thinking deeply about COVID and specifically where we've gone wrong in the public sector's response to COVID. And so I just want to work through these many themes that you've been touching on in your writing. And let's start with the FDA. You have been very critical of the risk aversion on display there. This goes back to the delays that we had on COVID testing in the early days. But the real focus of your recent writing here has been the delay between when COVID vaccines started getting developed and when they started getting distributed to the public. And you wrote recently that if the FDA had proceeded differently, the pandemic could have been over by midsummer. Explain why that is. Yes. Now, I, I don't want to, um, I'm the grumpy economist, so let's not be too grumpy off the, right <laughs> off the bat. Let's start the new year on a good note. Uh, we, we have witnessed a miracle on the fact that we're one year into this and have a vaccine is truly uh, is 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 it's a wonder of, of modern uh, biology and medicine and science that we're able to do this. Uh, many diseases, you know, took decades and decades to get vaccines, and that's what we thought was going to happen. In fact, this vac the vaccines that we have now were developed literally in one weekend. Uh, the uh, Chinese. Uh, they, they did a lot of not so nice things, but one of the nice things they did was sent to the world the um, genetic sequence of the COVID-19 virus. And in a weekend in January, before the first case had arrived in the U.S., the vaccine had already been developed. Uh, and that's that's just remarkable, and that is giving us hope that this thing will be over much sooner than it normally would be. Uh, after that, <laughs> we have a, a trail of uh, a, a trail of things uh, that that have gone wrong. Uh, on the bureaucratic end. And I, my writing was, I wanted to take up the hardest possible case for, you know, the free market might have not been so bad when you look at the bureaucratic bungling that has uh, accompanied our, our governments and governments around the world's uh, attempts to deal with this thing. From uh, the Centers for Disease Control, who um, uh, um looking for the polite word here, uh, who didn't get the tests going, who bungled the test thing so we couldn't tell who had it for two months, even though that would have been available. The uh, FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, who's responsible for allowing tests. So tests, um, we all think of vaccines as being the miracle thing, but tests are, are crucial to stopping the spread of a disease because if you can know who's got it and who doesn't have it, then you can stop the disease spreading as effectively as if you can vaccinate people against it. And the FDA has been um, slowing down the whole business, of, and still is. There, there are tests available that they still won't let us use, uh, which is just remarkable since, um, you know, they're supposed to be protecting us, uh, but no damage can come to you from taking a test and learning if you have something or not. So that even the, the, the legal, moral, ethical case for why they regulate um, 
why they don't allow us to have tests at all is kind of strange. We saw the um, uh, the greatest industrial economy the world has ever seen unable to produce 50 cent face masks uh, for months on end. Uh, and there too, that was bureaucratic. Um, it was, we, there were plenty of masks around, but they didn't have the right labels and certification and so forth. Uh, there was uh, price controls, all, all sorts of snafus on uh, on that sort of thing. I mean, a, a free market economy can give you N95 masks in about 37 seconds if you're simply willing to pay for them. Uh, we, we banned the import of masks from China, uh, masks that were certified for use in the uh, European Union but weren't allowed to be sold in the U.S. because, heaven forbid, they weren't properly certified. The, the, if you look at it, kind of hilarious that we were all using homemade cotton masks for months on end uh, and, and in many cases uh, still are. Uh, the vaccine uh, it took uh, a long time, but even the emergency use authorization by the FDA only came out in November. They actually deliberately slowed down releasing it because they wanted to make it look like they were thinking harder about it than they were. Uh, they are still not allowing, uh, like the uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine, they're requiring extra clinical trials because just to punish the uh, Johnson & Johnson while the vaccine's still allowed in, uh, in, in the UK. And then the government uh, spent its time on these uh, astoundingly complicated rationing rules for who was going to get it and who wasn't going to get it. Um, uh, it Instead of thinking about how are we going to organize the rollout, and we've all seen the catastrophe of, uh, of getting this thing out and into arms. All the meanwhile, the virus is uh, mutating, and uh, as we dither around, and as our government uh, bureaucracies dither around, uh, the virus has now mutated and uh, is uh, spreading faster than ever. So it's really a, a, a sad, uh, sad case of bureaucratic bungling uh, all over the place. Um, through this last year. I, I want to go deeper on the point that you just raised, which is that now that we have a vaccine that's available, there have been these endless arguments about how distribution should be handled. And John, I think it's fair to say that the moral reflex that most people have is get it to the elderly first, just because those are the people with the highest mortality risks. But of course, sort of defaulting to your instincts rather than taking the time to give deliberate thought to a problem can get you in trouble. And so you looked recently in a piece that you wrote uh, at Britain, for instance, where the first dose went to a 91-year-old woman. And your judgment of that, and I'm quoting you here, is however well-intentioned, this has nothing to do with stopping the disease. Now, I'm going to let that hang in the air for just a second, just to make you seem like a moral monster for a moment, John. But now I'm going to give you the opportunity to explain to us why your preferred alternative would actually be a more humane one. Yeah, and this is there's a conceptual um, breakthrough here that our government agencies have not made, which is it's in the nature of bureaucracies to have difficulty changing conceptually how they're going to do things. Um, so when we're giving a vaccine or when we're taking tests, these are the two things that the FDA and, and CDC have been in charge of, is, is the purpose of the vaccine to protect an individual from a disease that will run rampant no matter what you do, or is the purpose of the vaccine to stop the spread of the disease so that fewer people get it in the first place? Similarly, is the purpose of a test to diagnose whether an individual patient has that disease and how do you treat uh, him or her, 
Or is the purpose of testing to find out, to test everybody and find out who's got it and stop them from spreading it to someone else? And our, our agencies are, are focused on the wrong ones of those two, where they are focused on the individual care part because that was their traditional, um, uh, that was the thing that they did tra traditionally. But when you're faced with a pandemic, um, that's completely the wrong thing to think about. Then this, I wonder if I say, because that's, that's the conceptual block that really lies behind it all. So when thinking about uh, how to uh, allocate this, and I do want to leave a placeholder there, you know, why is the government the only one who gets to decide who gets it when? Um, but when thinking about how to allocate this, they thought, as you said, who do we want to protect uh, first from this disease? And we will protect the people. Their first instinct was the natural one. We want to protect people who are going to be um, most likely to, uh, to, to get really sick and die from it, uh, elderly people. Germany gave it to a, her, their first vaccine was to a woman who's 101 years old, um, who's uh, very going to be, if she gets COVID, it's going to be in real trouble. Now, the trouble with that is that that pays no attention to who is likely to spread it to someone else. Um, and in fact, if we're comparing governments and markets, uh, if the purpose of a vaccine is simply to protect an individual, um, then that is only an individual benefit. And uh, the whole rationale for having a government uh, grab the entire supply, forbid you and me from buying it if we want to, give it out only according to the government's priorities, if it's only an individual benefit, um, the, the rationale for the government running this entire market uh, evaporates. Uh, things that are individual benefit, um, we usually expect people to pay for, and not all old people are, are poor, you know. Um, so it's, it's not doing the, the, the scheme they came up with uh, is not doing what we expect a government who's managing externalities, if you will, in, ex in economics language. It doesn't stop the spread of the disease. And if you take a stop the spread of the disease strategy, you actually end up uh, killing far fewer people. Now, you, they don't uh, directly get your benefit of it, but um, if I if I give it to one person who uh, tends to go to bars <laughs> and would, would otherwise give it to 25 other people, uh, you know, we, we could save 25, 50, 100 old people, not just uh, the one person. Uh, and in fact, traditional public health understood that uh, when smallpox breaks out. They don't give it randomly to a whole population. Uh, they give it to, they, they really ring fence where the outbreak is and try to stop it from spreading. So the idea of using vaccines to stop the spread of the disease is, is not a new radical idea. But it's not um, what our government has is, is been doing at all. And um, there, it's been protecting. And then the CDC went so far into, uh, of course, they wanted to give the healthcare workers too first, which makes a lot of sense. Even in a free market, you know, we would all, I would happily pay taxes to give it to healthcare workers uh, first because they're really in there on keeping this thing going. So that's not an argument we need to have. Um, but uh, it's just the, the idea of using this, they're not, their, their idea is not using it to stop the spread of the disease. In fact, in some sense, it's, it's worse. If we only give it to a small number of people and, and take our time um, vaccinating uh, everybody, then the disease has more chance to, to mutate. 
Um, so And now they're all deep into equity and, and disparate impact and so on and so forth about who they give it to, which is, it is what it is, but it is not uh, designed to stop the spread of the disease, which is the, the absolute crisis right now. Uh, the, the, the economy is, is in the tank until we stop this. Uh, and that's, you know, what's killing people is the spread of the disease, not who gets impacted by something that will happen anyway. So let me pick up that placeholder that you you put down a little while ago you you said a few minutes after that if this was all about individual benefits you could imagine just leaving it to the private market but even with this broader concern about the population writ large you've still been saying in your writing that a big part of the problem here is that the only entities that are allowed to purchase the vaccine our government, that we're actually not utilizing enough market forces. So what would a correct utilization of those forces look like? Yeah, I, I wrote this in a provocative way. Uh, uh, you know, the hardest possible case for the free market is the allocation of vaccines. But the case for the free market is not that it's perfect. It's that the government usually bungles things even worse. Uh, because, of course, vaccines don't have just an individual benefit. You don't get sick. They have a public benefit. You don't spread it to someone else. Uh, yet what we see is the government's not using this at all uh, for the public benefit. They're using it simply to hand out the individual benefit. Um, and um, we got to also remember uh, this vaccine is not uh, protecting people um, who have no options. Uh, the vaccine is just a way to stop getting covid there's another way to stop getting COVID. Uh, don't go out and party. Um, uh, don't go out and work, which is very hard for many people. But um, it is uh, the vaccine just allows you to go out and about. It isn't a life or death. Uh, you know, this thing's going to come to everyone if they don't get a vaccine. So um, that uh, that purpose it, it is protecting individuals, and it, it's uh, who gets to go out and about now. Uh, we also have an economy which is in the tubes. Our government is now going to spend another $2 trillion on it. Uh, so uh, one of the benefits of this vaccine is it lets people get out and about, and uh, you'd like the people who can uh, get the economy going <laughs> to be out and about. Uh, so that would suggest a good way to do, distribute vaccines is according to people who can really go out and get the economy going again. Well, um, allowing people to buy a vaccine is a great way of figuring out uh, who has, uh, who, for whom it's really important to get out and about now and who can wait at home another month. That's really what we're talking about uh, when it's, you know, who gets the vaccine first is, is not who's going to die. It's about who can uh, go out and about now versus uh, who can stay home for a month and stay isolated for another month and wait their turn. And when making decisions like that, um, you, you know, I'm, it's not just economics. I, I'm trying to make a case that it's, you know, even moral and ethical that we need to figure out somebody's got to stay home and wait and, uh, and figure it out. So my view, if finally I can answer your question, um, I'm, I'm not going to, this is not going to be um, a, a pure libertarianism show. Sorry for those of you who, uh, who like that sort of thing, which includes me most of the time. Um, but how about just let the government do what it wants to do, allocate it the way it wants to allocate it. But on top of that, you and I are allowed to buy it. The pharmaceutical company is allowed to sell it to us at what the market will bear on top of the government's allocation scheme. So that if we think it's really important for us to get out and about, we're able to spend our own money and go do it. Now, um, 
that what what's wrong with that? <laughs> you, you you can come up with a usual equity argument. That's you know somebody will say equity and so forth. But there's a lot of inequity in the world, and we're not going to solve the world's inequality problems by who uh, who's willing to pay uh, fifty bucks for a shot uh, and who waits so they can get it for two bucks. Can you walk us through the logistical difficulties that actually attach? to the administration of vaccines. You had a post at The Grumpy Economist where you actually walked readers through the math on this, the tremendous manpower you need, especially in light of some of the bureaucratic requirements that come with giving the shot. And, and you regard this as another area where we are just not being serious enough about what we have to do. So explain that. Uh, yes, uh, manpower will need. <laughs> um, you would think giving a shot is simple, but in, in the good old US of A, uh, the Republic of Paperwork, uh, nothing is simple. Uh, and in fact, uh, in many states, giving the shot uh, requires uh, filling out a whole lot of paperwork first, verifying where you are. Um, New York is especially uh, concerned that somebody might jump the line, so you have to document that you're in the appropriate category and so forth. Uh, so the reports I've seen uh, say it takes it at least 20 minutes and in some cases as much as one hour of uh, a certified licensed health provider's time to give each shot uh, involving <clears throat> filling out all the paperwork, making sure it's done right, uh, giving the shot properly and so forth. Now, uh, we got 300 million people, so 330 million people. So if it's going to take 20 minutes to an hour of a uh, certified at least nurse uh, to give it to each person. This is going to take a long time. And, and it's funny, um, uh, Operation Warp Speed was actually a tremendous thing that they did. And, and they, you know, let's give them credit for doing one thing right. That got things going much faster than it would have otherwise. But then it, it looks like nobody actually thought through the, the math or the question of how, how long, you know, how many nurses do you need and where are they all going to come from and, uh, and where are these people going to do things? And that, it's slowly, uh, it, it, that, you know, things slowly get better, but that nobody thought about this ahead of time lost us another month of the race between evolution, exponential growth, and, and bureaucracy. And it, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, <clears throat> I gather it's no longer this way, but I, I was once in Europe and I had uh, bronchitis and they just gave me the, the shot and said, go home and take this, buddy. <laughs> that was the end of that. Uh, so uh, technologically, one can get things into arms a lot more quickly if you want. And, and in, in states like, like in New York, uh, they are throwing out vaccines because uh, there's so many penalties for giving it to someone who isn't the right place in line that at the end of the day, they have to throw it out uh, rather than not. There's this great story in, in Israel. They, it was the end of the day. They ran out of people up and, and, and they just went out in front and, and waved people in. One of the nurses went and, and uh, waved down a pizza boy and said, hey, pizza boy, come come get your vaccine. <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good way to do things. So more, uh, more bureaucracy. John, you've been saying since early on in this process, you just said it again a moment ago, that getting the pandemic under control was the essential precondition to getting the economy back on track. If we can divert from the disease itself for a moment to the economic consequences, because we haven't had the chance to talk about this for a while, what do you make of the COVID relief that has come through Congress and the further relief that's being discussed? Um, well, uh, so the number one thing is to get the disease under control. And the number one thing of that is to stop its spread. And uh, it's funny how we're arguing about tiny amounts of money in, in that, uh, you, you know, billions are tiny amounts of money. 
in, in today's right in today's world. Um, and, but it's not, you know, in some sense, it's not even the money. It's just the attention, the bureaucratic management that it takes to um, to get uh, that stuff working. That, that we're not paying much attention to that compared to trillions, rivers and rivers of of money uh, that is just going to writing checks to people um, to, in in the economy, which is uh, um, you know much less effective than stopping the disease. Um, I think there's uh, in, in a lot of our economic policy, uh, this you know how old-fashioned medicine had four humors. Uh, well, um, contemporary economics has one that's called stimulus aggregate demand. It's always 1933, and if the economy is uh, in trouble for any reason, we just need more stimulus, meaning uh, borrow a lot of money and then uh, and hand it out in the form of checks. Well, I don't think that's very uh, effective, and it's uh, certainly blunt medicine. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, what's needed right now is is to get this disease under control, which is again really cheap, and and mostly is a question of management rather than a question of lots of money. Which relates very well to my closing question for you. Um, let's talk about a world of second best outcomes, and, and what I mean by that is that you and I are taping this conversation the day before. Joe Biden is going to be sworn in as president. Biden um, isn't quite a black box, but fair to say I think that we don't know yet where he is going to fall on the center-left to left-left spectrum on any given policy issue. So if we stipulate that Joe Biden is never going to fully embrace John Cochran's free market nirvana, are there steps you think he could plausibly take, consistent with what we know about his politics, that would meaningfully accelerate the end of the pandemic. You know, it's, it's the we're still in the unity and let's be nice to each other period, uh, or at least we're still pretending we're in that period. And and I, um, let's go with what Biden and the administration have said they want to do, and they've said some very good things. They have said that the top issue is getting this uh, disease under control, that it's a management issue, that they want to get lots of vaccines into lots of arms as fast as possible, and they want to not just spend money but put lots of management attention on that problem. Uh, that's uh, let's, let's hope they, uh, they do that. Uh, the rest of the policy, yeah, um, that's going to be the big question for them. Uh, um, they want 100, everyone since Franklin Roosevelt wants 100 days, but I got news for you guys, it's not 1933, uh, and it's not clear that a 100 days of, um, let's put the whole 20 years of left-wing agenda into legislation is appropriate right now. Um, and, uh, you know, that's going to be the thing they have to face, the, the energy of the 100 days versus the crisis at hand. In 2008, um, you know, one might say that they should have spent a lot of attention on the financial crisis and recession um, and rather than uh, get involved with health care. Um, uh, one might say otherwise, <laughs> but clearly that's going to be the temptation is how much time do you want to spend on the Green New Deal and uh, impeaching a president who's already out of office uh, as opposed to really focusing on getting rid of the disease. And how much time do you want to spend on uh, giving people checks uh, to mitigate uh, the, the problems or stimulus of the economy and so forth, rather than what really should be all hands on deck, every bit of administrative capacity on stopping the spread of this disease? 
so they they say um, they say they're going to do more things than anyone can possibly do. But the one on the top, I, I want to you know be on a friendly note uh, before we start into criticizing. The top of the list is the most important thing. So uh, I wish them well on on keeping sight of that fact. You've been listening to the Grumpy Economist podcast with John Cochran. You can read the Grumpy Economist blog at johnhcochran.blogspot.com. And if you enjoy the show, please read it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For John Cochran, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.